Welcome to In a Warming World, a podcast that critically examines cultural narratives that minimize climate change in order to reveal how ecological social change is not only possible, but necessary. I'm Moira Marquis, a postdoctoral fellow at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Lack of political action on climate emergency can lead people to feel fatalistic. Generation Z especially can feel they have been born after the end, to borrow James Berger's phraseology. In a generational sense, especially, it is often difficult to think about what to do when it already feels too late, that all of the actions that should have been taken by generations past were not. Most infuriatingly is that the older generations seem pretty content shouldering Generation Z with this burden. Languishing in this fatalism has led some to conclude that climate collapse is the inevitable result of human nature. In this episode, a Generation Z roundtable will tackle this pervasive and most destructive of ideas. Speaking today about our podcast on climate change and human nature is uh, Angelo Rosario, Julia Fuller, Ben Garside, Kevin Chen, Zoe Tu, and me, Brooke Lester. Um, Personally, I'm from Charlotte, so kind of like a suburban area. I'm a freshman STEM major, and I focused on just kind of the relation between overconsumption and the way that the general population is going to view climate change with overconsumption and the way that it's presented to them and kind of the lack of solutions brought up. As for readings, I focused on the tragedy of the commons and also on the El Paso Shooters Manifesto. Hey, so I'm Angela. I am from Fugue, North Carolina, which is a small rural town, but it's becoming more suburban now. I am pursuing an interdisciplinary major in the ethics of healthcare policy on a global scale. And I am a first year. The key things I focus on from the readings was the idea of human nature and whether we are innately destructive, especially that in Interstellar and in the Camille stories. My name is Ben Garside. I'm from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. So it's kind of like an island town and it actually is really affected by climate change. And so it's been really interesting to see the effects of climate change on my hometown, like what I can do after being in this class. And I focus on the movie Avengers Infinity War and the world without us. Oh, and I'm a neuroscience major. And I kind of just looked at what would happen if we got rid of humans on earth and how human nature affects climate change and what what it would look like if we weren't here anymore and how nature would refill our niche. Hi, um, I'm Julia Fuller. I'm a sophomore and I'm majoring in English. I'm from Ocracoke Island, North Carolina. So like Ben said, I'm also from an island. So it's interesting to see how climate change affects us directly. But I kind of focused on Hardin's underlying theme of racism and his belief that immigrants were taking up resources and contributing to overpopulation and relating that to the other readings. And I looked at the tragedy of the commons and the short video about environmentalism and racism. Hi, my name is Kevin. I'm a first year and I'm majoring in biology, particularly molecular biology. And so I focused on the Gaia hypothesis and the El Paso shooter manifesto where we looked at people gaining their own self-interest with corporations and also justification of murder through environmental changes. Hey everyone, my name is Zoe Tu. 
I am a junior um, double major in English and exercise sports science. I'm from Summerfield, North Carolina, which is like a rural, more country sector of Greensboro. And some of the things I found most interesting of the section between human nature and climate change were how the view of humans as innately self-preserving and self-focused, how that ideal is present in how people go about their views of the environment, but also how that's really present in racism and eugenicism and white supremacy and a lot of um, really destructive worldviews. And some of the readings that I chose to focus on was the Gaia hypothesis and the Camille stories. So the first thing that I wanna bring up is the idea of human nature. And we've seen a lot of philosophers describe human nature as being brutish and violent as described by Hobbes and Rousseau called it as human nature being innately good and that we could live a peaceful and happy life. But throughout the readings, I think we see a common theme of this destructive and brutish and violent theme that humans are always gonna want the worst for the environment. And so I wanted to know what, where you guys stood on this. Would, do you guys consider human nature as being innately good, as innately bad, or is there like a middle ground? I mean, I feel like it's hard to overgeneralize the human population just because there is like almost 8 billion of us. But I think in general, there it has to be like some sort of middle ground because I don't think humans are either innately one way or the other. I think a lot of these readings tried to focus and try to pin humans as like this innately bad species whose only purpose is to like destroy the earth. And I mean, I personally don't want to be grouped in with that. And I don't think I'm innately bad. And I don't think my only purpose is to destroy the earth. But I think there has to be some sort of middle ground. We can't really overgeneralize the population. Yeah, I think if you're going to say that humans are innately evil and innately bad, then you have to understand that even if that's your idea of the entire population, that they're not constricted to that and they're not completely just worth nothing for the rest of their lives, that they have the ability to change lifestyle habits and the ability to overcome that innate evil if that's your belief on it. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'd agree with Ben that If you're going to have that idea, then there needs to be ways to overcome that barrier or else you're going to have a really fatalistic view of the whole world. Yeah, I do really agree with both of you guys on the idea that we can't really overgeneralize what people are and we can't really say that they're either bad or good. But I do think that we do have these selfish traits, but we also have our own morals and our own moral compass. And so I do think that we have different natures, but Overall, like, if you're going to talk about something, we can't really generalize people as one one thing or the other. I agree with Kevin. I definitely think there's a danger in generalizing people, but I do think that humans do have self-serving motivations just because there is reward with that. I feel like that's the way we're programmed. I don't think everybody's like that, and I think it varies, and there is, again, a danger in generalizing it, but I feel like that's just more common, I would say. But again, I feel like it's different for everyone. Yeah, I agree. Like, I feel like there is a middle ground because destructive behaviors are kind of learned, maybe like based on location or like who somebody surrounds themselves with. But I do think there's a middle ground because there's so many people that do practice sustainability and like establish a healthy relationship with their environment. But there will always be that opposite side. And I think this is really important to point out just because throughout the readings, we're going to see this really negative tone. And that it's almost fatalistic and makes a sense of hopelessness and that there's nothing we can do about the environment and climate change. So I just want to bring this up in the beginning of this recording because I don't think that's 
initially like the right way to think. However, like I, who am I to say what's the right way to think? But that's really problematic to me that we can look at this broad issue as just being almost like part of our genetic. Yeah, I definitely saw this theme throughout the readings as well. Like this negative tone about how humans are like bad and stuff like that. So I think in general, it's just important to bring up human nature in regards to climate change, because obviously, if we really want to make some sort of change in the environment and change in like human ecology, we can't just talk about like shallow measures. We really have to consider this relationship between the self and others, between the self and the world at large. And I think this whole unit has kind of put that into perspective and made me realize like how important human nature is in like tackling some of these big picture issues. Yeah, so we can start off with individualized interests with a Gaia hypothesis. And so the Gaia hypothesis states that Earth is an accommodating organism, meaning that it can change to fit what humans are putting into the environment. But this is necessarily not true. It's because it was used to justify continuation of polluting and using non-renewable energy resources to gain more profit. This was done by James Lovelock and the Royal Dutch Shell Company. Yeah, and so the Gaia hypothesis basically claims that the Earth is this one single superorganism and that humans in relation to that Earth are relevant and powerless insignificant and don't really have any central role in the fate of the earth. And so going back to what Kevin was saying about James Lovelock and the Royal Dutch Shell Company, he gives this idea that metabolic algae give off sulfur and that is explains that the earth or we're referring to the earth as Gaia in regards to this hypothesis, it regulates itself by neutralizing the chemicals that are released into the atmosphere. And this pushes them into this whole theory that earth has this homeostatic ability to kind of maintain this optimal climate and this optimal biology to sustain itself. And so even if the earth is too cold, it's gonna figure out a way to maintain existence. If it's too warm, it's gonna figure out a a way to maintain existence. And humans um, have nothing to do with that adaptability and have nothing to do with how the biosphere is maintaining that. And yeah, Kevin, if you wanna touch a little bit more on like what that like makes of humans and like, yeah, just, a little more comment on like how that plays into how people think about human nature. Yeah, so they think that humans are irrelevant, powerless, and insignificant. And so this is a very fatalistic and what we talked about um, view before, a view of humans. It talks about more self-interest and how we think that humans aren't really going to play a big role in our environment. And this also overgeneralizes what we do. And it completely undermines our ability to help the environment too. So Lovelock really ignores this, the extent or magnitude of which other organisms besides humans affected the environment. And he drew these conclusions that um, were very fallacious and logically skewed to match his objective of defending the company's motives. So this is very interesting in how self-interest has a lot to play in um, science as well. So. Uh, we see this a lot in today's society as well. And so why do you think this happens? And can you guys give some examples? Well, I think in general, like you were saying, this just kind of goes or gets at how science has become privatized and scientists are kind of viewed as this dispassionate, disinterested, objective group that are kind of only focused on personal success. And obviously we see that in many realms of our society today. But I think it just goes to show that science, while obviously it can be used for the personal success of a few, should be used for the like progress and success of many. And I think the guy hypothesis and the James Lovelock example kind of calls into question like how 
we think about science in regards to our human nature and like what its role is. So yeah, I think it's definitely a call to like not make it so individualized and like industrialized because that's not its original intent. Yeah, I definitely agree because like the funds, the funds that um, privatized investors want to give out, they want to see that the science works and they want to see that there are good results. So they'll have to fake the, not fake the results, but skew the results. So it makes it seem like it defends the original hypothesis. And so the second question is, Earth is inherently able to regulate itself, right? However, our contributions to global climate change and environmental degradation have greatly surpassed Earth's capability to maintain itself. So what, what can we do collectively to allow Earth to be able to do this again? And this is a really important question. Yeah, so it definitely is. I think it's this <laughs> this huge question that like people of all fronts, like scientists, economists, and politicians have been trying to figure out for a while. I think ultimately the obvious answer is the things that we discuss, like consuming less and changing our attitudes toward the symbol of wealth, things like that will have to be implemented. But that's easier said than done, obviously. I think that the way that we portray the changes we need to make is going to need to change because when you kind of just like shoot all these little solutions, like stop buying this and use less water, but also don't use paper plates, but also using normal plates uses water to wash them. It kind of just is overwhelming for the individual and it's not easy. So it kind of creates this neutral point of view where they just end up not doing anything at all. But I also think it's important to address that the responsibility doesn't lie all on the individuals. I think there's also an issue with big companies and Lately, there's been a lot of discussion that the consumer needs to be doing all these hours of research to figure out whether their companies that they're buying from are actually sustainable. And I think that's really a shame. I think there needs to be some help in regulating these big corporations because you shouldn't need a law degree and like hours of your time to know whether or not the products you're buying are from like a generally neutral source. Yeah, I would say I agree with that. And also like what you said, it's very hard to regulate the entire population especially like of the U.S. because we are very I feel like separated and I feel like we've seen it through COVID like trying to regulate people and to wear masks and stuff and we've seen that's been difficult in itself and it's a deadly pandemic so I feel like people would be more inclined to want to follow those regulations but I also feel like it's just easier to regulate these big companies so I think it starts there in terms of minimizing our footprint. I think a large part of it also is just accepting that we are right now rejecting all responsibility for the environment and our actions for it. And I think this is also seen in the Camille stories where rather than try to find us finding a solution to why the environment is getting destroyed and why so many people are dying as a result, they immediately thought, well, it's overpopulation. We have to decrease the population and actually have this biological kind of like mutation so that we can have this connection with the environment. And in the Camille stories, they literally make themselves have this relationship with animals by having like body modifications so that they can look like almost extinct animals. And so I think that this really highlights like the idea that human population is the issue. And I think that can be a really destructive way of thinking because it kind of places this whole blame on humans in itself and kind of goes back to that humans are innately destructive idea that without humans, the world would just be fine. And so part of the questions that I have with this reading was like, 
Will reduction in human population really fix the environment? Yeah, I think we've seen this question be asked all over this unit. And like when you're thinking about it, very just like not thinking about humans and just like being completely like not empathetic at all. You think about it, okay, reduction in human population, that seems to, it would probably do something to the environment. But when you think about it, simply more bodies on the earth really does not lead to the increase of carbon emissions. And we know that what affects like climate change and environmental destruction is CO2 levels, namely caused by consumption and like fossil fuel. So obviously like attacking those things, consumption levels and fossil fuels are like a much more humane and appropriate measure for controlling environmental damage and not like decreasing population size. But I think just because humans, particularly the Western world is just so stubborn and set in their mindsets and always like hearing about how they need to control consumption levels and they need to do all these things that seem to do nothing at all. I think that like, I don't know, it's hard for them to see that like what they might be like subconsciously suggesting of like decreasing population growth. Like it's hard for them to see how much like what they're agreeing not to do is like so much less. It's just a much like more mild measure. And so I think what, I think the goals of environmentalist groups seem really idealistic to the world, but like the alternative of decreasing population growth is like so much more like aggressive and like completely unhumane. So yeah, I think we've come to a pretty strong conclusion that a a reduction in human population really wouldn't fix the environment, but rather it's consumption levels and fossil fuel emissions. Yeah, and part of the Camille stories is also this connection with the environment, this kinship that humans have created in the stories at least that helped restore in a sense some aspects of the environment and this thinking is kind of reductionist because the population sizes you know aren't directly correlated with environmental destruction and as you said consumption is so is it possible to like build this connection with the environment in a kinship way yeah, I think after reading the Camille stories, I like I thought it was really interesting how they were able to make this connection with environment, with the environment, and how I noticed how like it's important to try to define who we think that we are and like what humans' purpose is, and kind of like that's the like age old question of this unit, but and how we relate our definition of humans back to the environment. I think a lot of people nowadays would say that humans are very much disconnected from the environment and we're kind of like our own separate entities, like separate from the world that we live in and separate from the environment because humans are so advanced. We've made so many advancements to disconnect from nature and like we live in houses and we drive cars and like all this machinery that we use kind of takes us away from and displaces us from our own environment. But we've also kind of pushed ourselves away from the natural world and everything we know is pretty much a product of like our own engineering but I do think it's possible to like rebuild that connection. I think that like making these conscious efforts and thoughts about like our specific impact on the environment builds a very specific bond between a person and their environment. And I also think it's important to remember that we aren't like as removed as we think. We still like need the earth to survive. So I don't think that we are like as separate as a lot of people would say. So I think that connection is definitely important. Yeah, so we definitely need to build a connection with the environment. and. One thing that's interesting is the El Paso shooter manifesto. It's about the justification for shooting people. And it stems from his beliefs that immigrants are one of the root causes of the downfall of America and the environment. He believes that to save his country and the environment, they must purge the immigrants. Yeah, it was definitely 
uh, more of a controversial thing put up. It was on the website Achan and taken down soon. But one of the points that he brings up that I really want to touch on is that he says this inaction is a choice. And I believe he put it in like all caps, like it was a big deal to him. And I think it's really important, not that I think we should learn from him or look up to him at all. But I think it's an important note to discuss because inaction is a choice. And I think with climate change, there's a big implication of this and that um, I can't remember what the word is. Maybe you all will remember it, but we brought it up in prior units, essentially where you just don't do anything because you're just overwhelmed. And again, this is this kind of like neutral point of view. And I think he's right in that you just like you can't just sit back and ignore it like that is a decision like you're not just avoiding it you know yeah and i think that definitely relates to like your connection with the environment like you'll be way more disconnected if you choose not to help what the environment like we're living in yeah so he also asserts an idea of this future being non-existent because of the immigrants coming to america and ruining what he thought was a good country so to save his future he needs to take action he needs to have this choice of doing this thing, even though it's very harmful. And so this supports similar ideas to what we'll talk about later with this guy named Hardin, and that races should be separated and that certain races are more entitled to live than others. In this case, he wants to save the pure Americans or the, the Americans that aren't the immigrants. And he calls the immigrants the impure ones. So of course, this method of execution is highly unethical and justification through lifeboat ethics is definitely not good. But to some extent, the problems that the El Paso shooter brings up manifest into our mindsets. Things such as economic justice are on the rise. People aren't, aren't willing to change their comfortable lifestyle and our future is very bleak. So rather than committing murder, what do you think we should do about these problems? I mean, it's tough to come up with like, I wish everyone wishes there was like a concrete answer and a concrete solution to do about these problems. Obviously going in and shooting a bunch of people in a Walmart is not the solution that everyone's looking for, but I do think a lot of these issues do stem from these environmental concerns that have been overlooked for the benefit of the economy or to make our lifestyles more comfortable, which is kind of ironic if you think about it, because I feel like we've sacrificed the environment in order to make our lifestyles more comfortable for ourselves or like, make new advancements that benefits the economy and stuff like that. But now since we have all that, our environment is struggling and the thing that helped us get here is the thing we now need to fix because it's threatening our lifestyles and our economy and stuff like that. Yeah, but how do we really change the mindset of lifeboat ethics? Because that's like the inherent problem that um, that's plaguing our society right now. Yeah, like Brooke was saying when she was reading this, that even though it's obviously like a really scary thing to like read and put like your mindset into but like some of the things he was saying like might even be present in our subconscious and I think this idea of lifeboat ethics that we need to save the pure ones and kill off those who are impure I think we like obviously see that mindset kind of underlying a lot of like really like disgraceful things in American history like racism obviously white supremacy and I noticed a lot when we did the last unit um of this human nature and climate change section on like Nazi Germany and eco-fascism. I think we see obviously a lot of life with ethics there and trying to make a pure race. And so yeah, the goal of all of those movements is really to raise up a certain sect of the population so they might like fare well and save the earth. And I think really just looking at those movements as signifying life with ethics for me, that was personally really helpful to like realize how detrimental that, that mindset is. And I think like making a lot of those deeper connections 
can be helpful for changing the mindset. I think it's like Ben was saying, it's really difficult to like actually come up with a concrete solution, even though we know that definitely the solution is not to shoot up a Walmart or to do (laughs) terrible things like that. So yeah, I think changing the mindset is just like really confronting yourself with a lot of like things of history that have been connected to this idea that are really harmful. And definitely like when looking at these solutions, like his solution and Thanos' solution was to just kill people and like that would solve a lot of issues. But, and same in the world without us, like those kind of, this reading kind of focused on what would happen if humans weren't there and like humans are the root cause of every issue of the environment. And if they weren't there, like how would nature survive? And it kind of talked about how like nature would be fine. Like it talked about how like our houses, like it went into the process of how our houses would like fall down and how nature would overtake them and stuff like that. But also in the reading of The World Without Us, it talks about also like how nature depends on humans as much as we depend on them. Like, and what would happen if humans left like how would the earth left be impoverished in some way and like would they be at some sort of loss without humans and also like does a non-environmentally decimated future exist like does it is it allowed to exist without humans like destroying the whole environment well to answer your first part of the question i think if you if we got rid of all humans um in our short time on earth we have drastically and negatively modified the environments like for example building structures Um, overusing natural resources, continued violence. But we have also done a lot to help our organisms and to help nature succeed. So I think Mm -hmm. that our impact on Earth depends on so many variables that we can't really say what will happen. There'll be many consequences, but there'll also be a lot of positive things that might happen. So like Mm -hmm. the butterfly effect, where we can't really know what will happen. But one thing that is certain is that if we continue to practice unsustainable methods, um, we're heading towards inev- inevitable danger. I think this is this sure. relates to the next question. For the idea that a non-environmentally disinimated like future exists, I think that to an extent, it's not likely, just because we do rely so much on natural resources and the efforts to kind of push towards clean energy will still have this underlying effect on the environment and where we can get these materials and resources because like to build solar panels, you're still harming the environment with the carbon emissions. Yeah. So I think that will a future that is environmentally like 100%, 100% friendly exist? I don't really think so, mm-hmm. but I think we can definitely get cleaner. Yeah. And I think that also relates to this idea of like purity and how like Wiseman talked about purity and how like if humans were all gone then the earth would be like pure again but I think purity is such like a fabricated idea and it's kind of toxic because it gives way to someone trying to justify their ways like Thanos or the El Paso shooter and trying to make the world like pure again so I think that idea is just I think it's very toxic yeah and I think it's important you know you all are reminding me of tragedy of the commons when you start talking about consumption in the environment reminds me of the theory which I feel like a lot of us learned about it in high school which essentially is that people tend to destroy common land and common resources as a sort of like eat or get eaten mannerism Mm -hmm. but the problem with this is that Hardin who proposed the theory is a known white supremacist and his theory like said things that children of improvident parents should starve to death, which kind of implies this lifeboat ethics theory that we brought up in earlier points, which is just not really the best thing to be doing. And his ideas were ultimately proven to be false because um, this one lady, Eleanor Ostrom, who won a Nobel Prize 
even kind of pointed out that humans have successfully managed the commons like very, very often in the past. So I think it just kind of touches again on the generalization of human nature that we tend to just adopt because it's easy, but ultimately like, is that really effective or true? Maybe not. Yeah, and going off of what Brooke was saying, like Hardin's ideas were, yeah, like they were proved to be wrong and in his generalization of human nature, it's very ineffective in his way of addressing climate issues. And by generalizing this human nature and and saying like that so many people, only certain people deserve to live. There's almost only so much we can do really just presents like a point of view that would lead to the population to this climate indifference. And so Hardin attacked Congress, Congress for sending food aid to poor nations because he believed their populations were threatening to Earth's quote carrying capacity. And he justifies these actions by this lifeboat theory saying that the rich and superior should be should just throw off the poor and less fortunate in order to thrive for themselves and this kind of led me to the question of like how would the poor be consuming more resources than the rich like how did Hardin believe that lifeboat ethics would work if the poor were most likely using less resources if the rich have more availability and money to buy perhaps like more useless things that they won't use, therefore using more resources. Yeah, so I think his ideas were actually really contradictory because if you if he has this idea that like, oh, we're so faulty and we can't change, then by getting rid of a bunch of people, your problem wouldn't be solved because ultimately it would just come back in the future anyway. So I really don't think it was that great of an idea and I just don't think it I sh- it's, should be supported at all. Yeah, and that idea just reminds me of like, what we talked about kind of earlier in the unit about like consumption and how we talked about like getting rid of labels on clothes. I don't know. That just like reminded me of that. Cause if we got rid of labels, then like there wouldn't be this need for there to be like a better brand than something else. They would all kind of be the same. I don't know. That just reminded me of what we talked about earlier. Yeah. And going into also overconsumption, kind of, we touched upon it earlier about like what would happen if we got rid of humans and stuff like that. Um, we all watched Infinity War. I mean, I'm a huge Marvel fan, so I've seen it a bunch of times. But the plot is basically like Thanos is setting out to get these six stones and destroy half of all life in the universe to kind of like set it off on balance again and make it pure, which is again, that like toxic idea of purity and like who even came up with what's pure and what's not. But I think Thanos embodies like the, not like his power itself is scary, but it's also a fantasy. Like no one has infinity stones and no one's going to be able to like snap their fingers and get rid of half of all life. But I think his idea, his motivations and ideas are what's like terrifying to us because we can find some sort of truth in what's supposed to be this giant villain in this movie. But when looking at his plan, it's not feasible in our world today, but if it was, do you think it would work? And, or in a couple hundred years, would the earth just be in the same like predicament we are in now? And like, would humans just keep reproducing? Yeah, I think that in a couple hundred years, like if that were to happen, the earth would eventually be in the same predicament that we're in now mm-hmm. because I think humans are going to continue to overuse resources and take advantage of them For and be sure. like okay like we're here and we're just going to use everything and not give anything back leading yeah. to like the same issue but looking at it from a different perspective this kind of relates to the concept of human nature in general like as mentioned earlier and like poses that question are destructive behaviors learned mm-hmm. 
because I think if the mindset and overall concept of human nature were to undergo a huge change somehow, then maybe his plan would work. And But I think there will always be people that have those destructive behaviors that will affect the earth in a bad way, no matter how many mm -hmm. years go by. Yeah, for sure. I think definitely destructive behavior is a, like, is that learned? I think that's a giant question that we need to ask ourselves because it relates back to that thing of like, are humans innately good or innately bad? But I think if destruction is learned, it's kind of hard and it puts us in that middle ground. Yeah, I agree with that. And going off of that, the short video on environmentalism and racism kind of just talks about ecofascism and how deep-rooted racism influences the weather patterns in the United States and discusses global warming driven by human emissions of greenhouse gases. It introduces Gifford Pinchot, which is the head of Theodore Roosevelt's National Conservation Committee. Um, he's also known as the father of conservation and he was a eugenicist. And so he kind of believed that white people have genetic superiority and people of color need to be killed to preserve their superiority. And that relates to the El Paso Shooters Manifesto and a lot of the other readings of just about racism. And another key figure mentioned was Madison Grant and he worked to establish wilderness preservation. So like they make it seem like they're doing these good things for the environment, but on the same time he was engaging in white supremacist acts. And they all believe that overpopulation is the driver of this environmental collapse. And I think this really relates to the lifeboat ethics as well in the sense that all these men in this video that were mentioned, um, Pinchot and um, Grant, they all base their ideas off of Hardin's belief that the white were superior and that the people of color needed to be killed as they were causing this overpopulation and depletion of resources. And since Hardin's idea of lifeboat ethics became so popular, in the 1950s to 1970s, a quote from the video says, these years witnessed a slew of forced sterilizations in the majority world. So yeah, like in all this really relates to the Apostle Shooters Manifesto because his quote states, if we can get rid of enough people, then our way of life can become much more sustainable. And I think this video just kind of introduced the effects of what they believe the effects of overpopulation were like the idea that the colored people must be sterilized to provide more plentiful resources to that wealthy white people which introduced a worldwide fear of overpopulation and so this kind of led me to the question of what effects do you guys think the rise in immigration has on the economy so here's the thing i don't really think that immigration is a problem here and i like as we talked about before it's the corporations and companies that are for their self-interest and for individualized interests like the gaia hypothesis and so i think that we should tar target more on the companies we should also emphasize that it's not the immigrants that are are destroying our economy or destroying the environment but rather it's it's these big companies that we should hold accountable yeah i agree with that I think it's also important to know like this responsibility and responsibility of like owning up to your own actions. And I don't think that the immigration community has like this huge influence on climate change and its whole, I think that's definitely more corporation based. And I think part of this also ties in with 
how are we using our resources, especially like corporations? Because in the movie Interstellar, we see this huge like dust bowl, second dust bowl. And it's like a really dark future for Earth. People are starving. Their children are having like lung problems. And the only solution that is presented in the movie is to just leave Earth. That we have, Earth is not like something that we can fix anymore. And this is presented by the character Brand, Professor Brand, who says, you know what, we just need to start over on a new planet. So he sends out a mission for the main character, Cooper, and he leaves to find this new kind of saving grace of a planet. And the key points in this film that I saw really saw as being really problematic was there's nothing we can do to save Earth and that the best we can do is to just leave. And Brand says, we are not meant to save the world, we're meant to leave it. And Cooper also says, we've always defined ourselves as ability to overcome the impossible and we count these moments. So I thought that was really hypocritical that they're saying, or at least Cooper saying that we can overcome the impossible yet they see earth as being so far beyond the impossible that we can't fix. So I think that this mentality is really just problematic and just how we approach saving the environment or even trying to make a change in climate change. And there's also like this idea of a higher being being the savior that humans can't do this themselves or save or really take ownership for our responsibility that there has to be someone outside of our own community saying that, hey, you kind of really messed up and there's nothing you can do but kind of like try to save it, but also like kind of like, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> And so this kind of behavior is also just reflective of humans being deceitful and selfish, where Brand lies about being able to save people so that he could present his theory or have more evidence. And man tries to kill Cooper so he could take his spacecraft and Tom wanting to, not wanting to leave his, his farm, even though his child's ill. So this kind of presents like, what's our responsibility? And once again, once again ties back to that question, of is human nature deceitful and selfish? Are we innately destructive? Um, so I don't think that humans are really here to save or like destroy the earth, but I think we're just supposed, our responsibility is essentially to give back to earth and coexist in a respectful way with the species around us. And yeah, like you were saying that I think that, that with everything that the earth does offer us humans, we're not fulfilling our responsibility, which is to simply respect the earth and do things that benefit our society as a whole. And yeah, humans are, I think, are just too selfish and, and not feeling their responsibility, really. Yeah, and I think kind of going off of that, answering the question, like, is this in our human nature to reject accountability for taking care of the earth? Like, do we have the right because of our human nature to make an excuse for our lifestyles. I don't think it's necessarily our human nature, more so a response to it, I guess, if you truly do think that human nature is innately self-interested and that is an insurmountable fact that we're never gonna get over. I think that is what causes people to lack accountability and to excuse their lifestyles. But I really like the point you're making, Angela, about going back to like a higher being. I think that honestly tying religion into this a little bit, I think if you think that people are created and have this creator, then I think that kind of expands this conversation on accountability and like why we we're put on the earth and like also 
that ties into the conversation of like how we view ourselves and our others in relation to the earth. So yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, just kind of considering religion in this. And we saw that obviously Hitler, he thought that like Judaism was like the root of humanism and like was pretty much against all creationism because that put all people as being created by one divine being, which put all humans equally. And so yeah, I think it's just interesting to think about those things all playing in together and like how this idea of some people being better than others contributes to people rejecting accountability and creating these excuses that really should never exist in the first place. Yeah, and I think the big takeaway from the purpose of having this discussion is to just reflect on ourselves and see, are we being destructive? Is it our responsibility? What can we do to help the environment? Mm -hmm. And as a big like movement, we shouldn't feel this hopelessness that we can't do anything because that is a major contributor to that is a main contributor to this whole climate change pandemic. Yeah. And I also want to say like one last thing, like, I don't think like we can all say what we think about human nature and that stuff. But at the end of the day, like none of us really know or have experienced humanity in like all these broad and deep ways or like, None of us have experienced all people. So we can make assumptions about human nature, but it's hard to um, like define and say exactly who we, what we think human nature is because there's honestly no definition and no one has that transcendental ability to like determine um, what humans are, so. Exactly. So I guess, thank you for listening in and This project has been generously supported by UNC Chapel Hill's Office for the Vice Provost for Global Affairs and the Chancellor's Global Education Fund through a collaborative online learning grant, as well as the Digital Humanities Lab in the Department of English and Comparative Literature.